hello again for yet another episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm so happy to be back and doing this. I'm telling you, this is, I have a lot of different jobs that I do day to day, and this is one of my very favorite things that I get to do. And you know, I have to tell you that like where this podcast came from is that many years ago, I was having all these incredible conversations with super smart people just across content strategy, content design, technologies, et cetera. And I thought, oh, I wish that people could be listening in on this and behold, a podcast was born. So here I am today getting to talk to yet another smart amazing person. And I'm so glad that I was able to invite you all along for the ride. And that person, friends and neighbors, is Jordan Craig. Jordan Craig leads the product content design team at Twitter. She specializes in managing well-planned holistic campaigns. She's skilled in content designs, traditional and digital marketing, commercial production, and sales. Jordan, that's a lot of stuff. She brings special expertise in crafting voice and tone style guides and brand guidelines. She has provided strategic directions to numerous nonprofits and associations, such as Pan American Health Organization, Public Broadcasting Service, and the National Museum of African American History and Culture, aka the most beautiful museum in the entire country. Jordan, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. Yay. Thank you for having me. And I agree. Namak is one of the most beautiful museums I have ever stepped foot in. It is just absolutely gorgeous. I even see it from the outside. The first time this is, I had the kids in DC actually while it was being built. And I'm telling you, we came around the corner and saw it. It just took my breath away. It's just a gorgeous building. The outside is actually a crown. That's why it, it is so stunning. It's literally meant to be a nod to crowns from the kings and queens in Africa. So very, very beautiful for sure. Know that I didn't know. See, we've been doing this for 90 seconds and you're already teaching me things. <laughs> Again, my favorite job. Jordan, a thing that I do at the top of every episode is I ask my very special guest to please tell me a little bit about your journey to content strategy and content design. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Well, I went to LSU for undergraduate. I started off actually as a broadcast journalism major, and I decided that I absolutely hated the way I sounded on the news and hated my voice on on television. So I quickly pivoted to public relations. And from there, I jumped right into working once I graduated. I started working at a couple of different advertising agencies that really focused on nonprofits. I get a lot of joy and inspiration in helping others. So nonprofits felt like the best place for me to start. And I really started to to figure out what I wanted to do within the advertising and agency world. And we wrote commercials, right? I wrote scripts and radio spots and things like that. And I thought, oh, I like this, but this is not exactly what I want to do. So I started to pivot into digital. And from there, I started working on you know web content strategies. Did that for a few years. And I saw a really awesome opportunity open up at Twitter. I actually sent a good friend of mine who was at Twitter a DM and was like, do you think I could do this job? And she was, she basically said, I think you could pretty much do anything you put your mind to. And I'm so glad I did because I ended up meeting with my future boss, Dantley. Actually, he was in DC. We sat at a coffee shop and talked for two hours. I'm pretty sure I only had 30 minutes of his time, but he really sat there and took his time with me to kind of walk me through what he saw for the content strategy team at Twitter and the rest is kind of history. So I've been at Twitter for about 18 months working on a lot of really 
fun and interesting work. I mean, we've pretty much gone through so much in the last year. It's unfathomable how much work we've actually shipped and launched. So that's how I got to Twitter. Jordan, tell me a little bit about the content design team at Twitter. Where do you all sit? How many are you? How do you collaborate with folks across the organization? Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Okay. So when I first started, there was actually only five content designers at Twitter and they at the time reported into design directors. And so once I came on board, everyone kind of came up under me. We grew pretty rapidly from five to 13. And then before the end of the summer, we should net out at about 17. We all currently sit within design and research. We sent horizontally across both the consumer side of our app and then also the advertising side of our app. So we work on product across pretty much everything. We, because there's so few of us, we work on almost every project that we worked on ships in some way, which is really unusual when you think about it. So we're spread a little thin, but we do get to work on really cool work. Can you say a little bit more about that? I There are uh, an exciting, cool thing about our audience is that they come from all walks of content life. And so when you talk about product shipping and that it's unusual that everything that you work on ships, can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Yes. So within Twitter and within the product itself, we have the luxury of working on things that mean a lot to our audience, right? So the content that you read when you're in the onboarding experience has primarily been touched by my team or when you're going through something and you want to report spam or abuse or things like that, right? My team, someone on my team has thought deeply about what those words look like, the level of empathy needed, the voice and tone necessary. And then on the the advertising side as well, we're thinking about how advertisers can use our platform to make money. And because there's so few of us and there's so many designers and researchers, like that's one thing that's really top of mind for me is to make sure our ratio is more proportionate in the future. But Because there are so many designers and researchers on our team, I try to make sure that my team only works on priority work that we know is going to have the most eyeballs on the app. So when you say there's so many more designers and researchers, like how many more? Ooh, (laughs) I actually, I did the ratio this morning just to confirm. We're sitting at about like 11 to one, right? So there's a little under 200 designers. There's about 40 or 50 researchers. So we're, we're really working on evening ourselves out this year. I have the luxury of having a boss who really believes in content and, and knows that we have to have more in order for our team to be successful and in order for Twitter to be successful, because I think there's this misconception that people do not read. And I think that's absolutely false. We see it every day in our testing and our experimentation with our research team that when people don't understand the words, they churn and leave the app immediately. Or conversely, they will Google how to solve problems on Twitter, which is great. But at the same time, if we can't figure out how to help people resolve their issues within the app, I have not done my job well at all. So, or, or there just weren't enough of you <laughs> in the room at the time that problem was being solved. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, for so sure. what I've actually seen over the last several years, because I've been in the UX field for about 20 years, and I have actually seen over the last several years, you know, for a while people were saying, oh yeah, content, content is really important. And that was in like the early 2000 teens. And there was more of like an an awareness being built and content was showing up at UX conferences. 
And it was a little bit behind like, oh, research. Yeah, research is important, which had kind of started to happen a few years before. And what happened then is that content as like a thing designers and, and technologists and product leaders should care about a little bit fell to the side, but research has continued its rise. And so it's really interesting to me that the ratios at Twitter sort of bear that out, like that the research team has continued to grow. Have you... Like this, and what what I wonder is, is it partially what's happening? Maybe I'm like setting you up for this, but is it partially that research is telling telling the telling Twitter over and over, oh, if people bail if they don't understand the words, we might want to focus a little bit more on the words. Like, is that a thing that is serving your growth? Almost oh, certainly. I thank God for our research team every day, honestly, because they literally help us write from such an informed space. And we can see it, right? We can see when we're we're watching people on the app live and they're struggling to get through a specific page. And I always, I try to tell my team too that they should be thinking about the way the words represent, not only just the words themselves, but the readability of the words. And like great content cannot fix design that is, it's just bad, right? Not to say that all of the design or anything like that is the primary problem, but good content cannot fix bad design and we cannot be, there's too few of us to be focused on trying to fix something that's not working. We almost need to like start over from scratch and rethink through the problem. But yes, I think to, to get back to your initial point, I think our research team has done an excellent job of saying, this is the problem. Some of the easier solutions that we can provide definitely starts at the content level and we should be bringing our content peers in earlier so that we can all be thinking through these problems holistically versus having us come in later at the problem or process. I would actually say though, that Twitter and our design and research team has done an excellent job of bringing us in the room at the right time. Like we sometimes get left out, that happens, no question. But uh, the teams that have embedded content designers have done a great job of bringing us in at the beginning because we also bring in our localization partners and they bring in their partners. We also make sure that our accessibility content designer is in the room, right? All these things kind of trickle into each other through our our working norms and our readmes. So I want to get back to the working norms and readmes because those are two phrases that I would like our audience to understand more. And frankly, I would like to understand more. But, you know, let me start, let me back up just a little bit though, because one of the number one questions that gets asked at any content strategy or content design conference is, oh, the speakers are working in these environments where they do get called and people do want them at the table. How do I get my company to do that? Because I guarantee that when Twitter launched, that was not necessarily the way it was, especially if there are still, you know, there were so few of you, even when you started 18 months ago, how, what changes that? How does that shift happen within an organization? What, what needs to exist culturally? For us, we, we really just proved impact kind of quickly. We, we were dealt kind of an interesting card with COVID last year. Um, and so some of the, the vaccination, not vaccination, I'm sorry, COVID misinformation labels really required like a specific tone that we knew we had to get right, right? So we're working through this and we're iterating and we're working with our research team to split test and and figure out if all of that is correct. And once we got that right, once we started to slow down misinformation, I think people started to see like, oh, this is what happens when a person 
that knows content design understands the strategy of content, understands content hierarchy. This is what happens. We get it right. People understand. And it's not that we expect sentiment to be high or low, but we do. We can tell when people are happier or very unhappy on the app with our work because people are kind of mean, actually. They will let us know immediately. So for us... On Twitter, <laughs> Jordan. Oh, you saying. know, you think you're doing everything right and people still have things to say. So it kind of is what it is at this point, but... Yeah. Impact has been our our number one strategy, but we've also been able to scale through our tools, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a little bit. Scaling helps our peers really understand and realize our value for sure. So, and talk to me about the role of leadership as well, because it is, I I mean, how did you scale? Were Were you sending out emails to people? Were you showing it in meetings? Were you like, do you have town halls? Like, how do you get that message out? A lot of education. Yeah. I feel like my first six months or so at Twitter was me going around and being like, hi, I'm Jordan. I work on words. What do you do? And then people were literally floored that there was a team that did that. And so it kind of made me laugh because I thought, well, how did you think the words got in there? How did you think it made it into the app? Like, oh, how hard is it? How hard can it be? It's just words. Yeah. Writes it. It goes out. It's fine. It just pops into the app and, and there you have That's it. Correct. So there was, there was a lot of meetings. There was a lot of getting in the room where it happens. <sighs> I knew I was going to be able to slip in a Hamilton reference. Yeah. I love that. Love that for us. Lots of that, but really we, we, we used Writer, our, our artificial intelligence tool for our strings management. Strings is basically how our content is housed within our coding. And because we were able to put our terminology management, our voice and tone documentation, all of that into writer, we were able to give access to people that wouldn't normally be writing, but sometimes they needed to write in case, you know, we were unavailable. So we gave access to our PM partners, our design partners, our engineer partners, and said, go for it. This has our style guide in it. Once you get done, send it back to us. We'll review. It's not the best process, but this is what we can do for now to make it work. And people just thought it was the coolest thing ever that they were able to write with something that kind of auto-corrected a bit like Grammarly and was in, it was within our, um, our voice and tone. So people got really excited when they saw that they had this capability. And so that allowed us to scale, right? Because they saw that they could write on our behalf. They quickly realized they didn't want to. And then they started to find headcount allocation for us so that we could get bigger which is really strange to do in a pandemic. Like having people on board fully remotely is such a wild ride and kudos to all the people that had to do it this past year. No kidding. All of us, all of us together. So I'm going to need you to back up for just a minute because you threw out the software or service called Writer. You threw out Strings Management. You threw out AI. What are you talking about? What is that? Yeah. Okay. So let me, let's, let me break it down. Okay. So we use a tool at Twitter called writer. And like I said, it's our artificial intelligence um, system that like houses the way our words work within the product team. So it houses our style guide. It's basically like our own version of Grammarly, but with our, our product writing guidelines built into it. And essentially it provides inlined 
recommendations and it also scores based on the words that are on the page. So it will tell us how close or how not close it is to our voice and tone. It gives us kind of like a, a number. And we'll, we use that also to audit in the future, but that's that's such a whole other conversation. But so writer is helpful in the sense that it essentially is attached to our Google Docs. And so when you're writing and let's say you use a word like blacklist, it will pop up and say, we don't use this word at Twitter. Here's a suggestion for another word or, you know, any of the, the words that we deprecated last year. It also currently houses our terminology management. So all of the words that you think of that make Twitter, Twitter, right? Like tweet, fleet, spaces. It provides definitions and we have it meta tagged with all of our metadata just so that we are keeping it in one place. Because I don't think people realize just how large managing terminology for a company is. Like it is such a cross-functional team effort. We have everyone from legal and policy and marketing to obviously my team. We have people from the design team or design systems. And we all sit in this big room and essentially go through word by word and say, yep, we agree on this definition. Nope. This word is no longer allowed. Yes. We're going to use this new word that we made up. So that's the terminology management piece of writer. And then lastly, we have our strings management. So the AI basically scores strings and we worked with an engineering partner to basically integrate writer into Twitter's string center. So that means that if our strings, our content is in string center, we can essentially edit them and then put them into production without needing help from anyone on the engineering team, which really excited our engineering peers because that meant like if we saw, you know, a misspelled word, we could just go into writer, correct it, push into our string center and the word is corrected within the app versus us having to stop, get an engineer, you know, open a ticket to work with them. It really just helped us speed up how quickly we can move and how few resources we need when it comes to the words of Twitter. Can I ask you a quick question? Because I, you know, if I were editing a word that appeared anywhere on the Twitter app, hitting like, okay, send or change or whatever, I would have like a nervous breakdown. Every it definitely makes me like a little sweaty. I'm not yeah, exactly. Do you have a <laughs> workflow that's like, can you check this? Okay. Can you yeah. Check, okay. Can you all check this? Because yeah. I don't even know like where I would be able to stop editing and hit send. So in our, in our working norms, we definitely have like a built-in kind of buffering system for that because in theory, anyone with administrative privileges within Rider could go push whatever they wanted into Rider, which is obviously a huge deal. You know, it obviously opens us up for like different like security risk and stuff. So currently at the moment, the only people with admin rights to be able to push live are myself and two other managers on my team but everyone else can push it towards us. It does allow us, however, on the bright side to have a level of QA, um, quality assurance that we didn't have before. I get DMs or people will screen grab things on the regular of like a comma splice or a word that's super awkward. And so this allows us to kind of fix it and then push into the app so that I don't have to get that same you know piece of feedback or... And then when I do get that piece of feedback, I don't have to go bother an engineer to help me fix it. I can just fix it immediately. But it, it's definitely like one of those moments where you're like, am I going to break the app right now and be in trouble with everyone? <laughs> oh, it, like uh, in the world, like everyone in the world, all billions of us. Okay. So you threw out that term again, working norms. Tell me what that yeah. means at Twitter. 
Ooh, okay. So working norms means for my team, a few different things. This was really important to me when I came on as the manager of the team um, to establish working norms. So essentially it's the way we work, working hours. Cause I, I am of the mindset that I don't really have a, a thought around when my team works, but I do like to know when they are going to work so that if I need to get a hold of them, I'm respecting the time boundaries they have on their day. So it's everything from the way we like to communicate, right? So if you're sending me an email and it is important, we just make sure to flag it so that they know I can respond or vice versa, or like we won't make any major decisions in Slack, which is like our communication tool, just things like that. But then we also have a working norm that has our process for how to work with us that we have sent out and gotten a lot of feedback from too, with our design team, our research team, with our PM partners. And essentially it just walks through the way to work with this team if you do not have a content designer currently embedded within the project you're working on. And so in a typical process, essentially like a PM or a designer would kick off a project. Uh, They would open up a ticket with my team. It would get assigned. That person would then go to all of the kickoff meetings. And then you'd start your typical iterate and like ideate process. And then from there, you know, you become a a team with your, your designer and your research partner, and you're just really working through the designs until it gets to a place that it can be given to Eng to be built. And then if there are other feature edits or things like that, then it kind of the process starts back over. But essentially our working norms, we spent several weeks just getting feedback to make sure that it was going to work because we didn't want it to be overly complicated because then no one would follow it. Or conversely, projects don't always look the same. So it's been definitely a labor of love. I think it's an evergreen document that will always kind of be updated as needed, but we have working norms within our team. And then we have working norms with how, within how to work with us as well. And sorry if this seems granular, but I'm a very curious human being. How, how is it documented? Like, is it, does it live on like an internal site? Is it a PDF? Like where it lives in a few different places. Yep. So we have Google docs. That's like our, our primary documentation method. So we have a Google doc that we have sent out because that's easy to get to, but we have a confluence page that people that we send people to often. And then it also lives on our go get words. So that's how you would uh, essentially fill out a ticket. You go to the site called go get words, but that's internal to Twitter. So don't Google that. That won't work for you, but it lives there as well in case anyone has any confusion around that. So it lives in a few places because I'm a firm believer in showing people more than once so that they'd like truly get it. Like I'll just keep, you know, hitting you over the head with it until it sticks. Do you have to update it in all those places? Yes and no. When we do decide as a team to make an update, it, it, because it's such a big deal to get to an updated place, it's fine. Like we don't make updates to it, you know, every week or anything like that. Jordan, I want to take several steps back now from process and and details about how work gets done at Twitter and talk to you a little bit about, so so you just came into, am I right in understanding you just came into content design as a field of practice 18 months ago? You are correct. I was in digital strategy before, but definitely had some transferable skills. Right. So tell me a little bit then. Like you had a handful of people at Twitter that were like, yes, content strategy. Or the, I guess you were called content strategists and have recently uh, transitioned like every other organization in, yes. <laughs> based on the West Coast to content design yeah. uh, for a product. Tell me a little bit about what was your initial impression of like content design as a field of practice or 
where were you getting your information about best practices? Just talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm a words person, like words, people are my people. So I was immediately in love with just spending several days, weeks, hours thinking about sentence syntax, or when we use this word, it evokes this emotion, just those types of things, just seeing how one casual shift in a word or one casual shift in the way we used a particular verb in a sentence that made my heart sing a little bit. So I was really excited to get to Twitter and do some cool work because I, I joined Twitter because I wanted to do some good in the world. I wanted to make a safe space for women and especially, especially women of color. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we had a place on the internet that we could be comfortable and feel safe and free. So that was like the reason I was like, I got to get to Twitter. This is so cool. And then to be able to work on a piece of the product that really helps people be themselves and and, and show up as who they want to be was just phenomenal. But yes, just just really got into the world of content strategy. I feel like as a digital strategist, I was doing similar things, right? Like I wrote plenty of voice and tone documentation. I worked on style guides. When I was working with NAMAC, I did lots of content work for them. So I just knew that it needed to be hyper-focused to the way the product felt. And as a user of the of the product, I could immediately see the places that needed to be updated. So I think that that was actually kind of like my lucky charm or my superpower. I knew what we needed to work on first because I had had problems with them as a consumer. And I think that was something that my boss, Dantley, appreciated. Like I saw immediately where I wanted to start because he really kind of said, okay, you're here. We need to fix these things, but I'm really leaving it up to you to tell me what you're going to do and how you're going to invest in this team and how you're going to grow this team. And he gave me the tools and the resources that I needed and kind of got out of the way. Jordan, where have you found community with content design? Is that a thing that you have sought out? Is it, is it, are are you confident and comfortable kind of like sticking to what you are building at Twitter? Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, last year at the beginning of COVID, I decided to do something kind of nuts. I said, okay, you got to Twitter. It's your turn to open the door and help other people get in. So I put on my LinkedIn, I did a free mentorship office hours thinking that like 15 people at most would sign up to talk with me. I was so wrong. I think I got over 450 signups almost immediately. I almost passed out. I, I didn't set up any parameters around it. It was like free reign to my calendar. As long as there wasn't like a meeting at that time, I would oh meet with you. Gosh. So I met content strategists, content designers, conversational designers, um, UX writers, writers, copywriters, like anyone that basically felt like they wanted to write in their career in some way signed up. And so that taught me a very valuable lesson about one, having boundaries. Um, But two, (laughs) I just, I got to hear so many stories and like how people came up into content design. I got to listen to what they were working on and what got them excited and what they liked about Twitter versus what they hated about Twitter or just they needed help in the interview process, you know, things like that. So that is how I found my sense of community. I still offer free mentorship. I just do it a lot less because I I logged, actually, this was the ultimate science experiment for me. I have a sociolinguistics minor. 
I logged what we talked about and everyone could be boiled down into three different categories. They needed to pick me up, someone to just pat them on the back and be like, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Or they legitimately needed good advice when it came to the words in their portfolio. Or they needed a swift kick in the butt to tell them like, you're going down the wrong path. You need to pivot. That might not be the best interest for, in the best interest for you. But they almost all fell into those categories. And I found it really fascinating because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So that's how I found my, my sense of community. And then Twitter itself has just been monumental. You know, there's so many people that are just so warm and lovely that have taken me in and, and shown me the ropes or just been so kind and, and offered such great advice or given us feedback when we've asked for it for words on the app. So that has been, it's been the highlight of my career. I've never felt more accepted in a role than like I do now. I, I have to say that, for so we have we at brain traffic we have hosted since 2011 a conference as you know called confab about content strategy and then last year we launched an event specifically for content design and ux writing as sort of a specialty within the larger content strategy field and one of the even more so than we have ever heard at confab one of the big things that came up was this People need mentorship. They need conversations. They need direction on portfolio, on their portfolios. They want to transition or break into this field. And what's more, companies are like, yes, we need you. Please hurry up, get here. But there is this real skills gap, or I'll say experience gap, because a lot of these, a lot of these job postings want five to seven years of content design work. And content design and UX writing is like a field didn't, I mean, people were doing it, but it didn't exist as such. And there are a lot of people who are doing it may not even know that that's what it's called. That has certainly been the experience of a lot of content strategists coming to the practice. What beyond just like an individual like you, like yourself, offering mentorship services, do you have other ideas about what an organization can do to sort of help draw people into the field, help welcome them in, you know, and train them up? Like what, what are some ideas that you have about continually expanding or creating new paths into content design? Yeah, that's such a lovely question. I'm so excited to answer this because this is something that's so top of mind to me because I go back to where I was in college and no one told me what to do. You know, my mom basically said, well, if you're going to be in journalism, you better figure it out, right? Because journalism at the time seemed like such a dying industry, which now actually really makes me laugh because obviously it is not going anywhere and nor will it ever. But essentially I'm working on something right now. Um, this isn't the true name for it, but I'm going to call it career day for the sake of this conversation, where we're going to meet with different universities in the United States and talk about what it looks like to work in tech, what it looks like to work on product, what product content writing is. And we're going to host these like two to three day, all day workshops where people can come and get feedback regarding content design, regular design, research. Um, I've gotten a few folks from the marketing team that are willing to come and chat because I really feel like it starts either in high school or college. And I'm, I'm super specifically interested in going to non-Ivy League schools, right? I want to go to like state public, you know, community colleges, those types of universities. So I feel like that is one way that I am currently working on. That's like an initiative for me that's important to me because I really, I, don't, I can't even imagine what my life would have been like if I had had someone when I was 18 or 19 trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life 
show me, oh, look, here's a way that you can like affect change in the world by doing these things. So we're working on that right now. And then the other thing, it's really important at Twitter where Twitter has our CSR is called Twitter for good. And we do so much mentorship, but specifically within design and research every month this for the last few months, we've been doing mentorships for different groups. So this month, I think we're working on Latinx and UX. Last month was, I want to say women in UX. The month before that was Black in UX. So we've been offering these free mentorship weekly cadence meetings with people just because we know that we sit in a place of privilege and it's our duty to to open the doors for others. So there's so many cool things that we're working on at Twitter that I'm, I'm excited to see. But yeah, career day is going to come up very soon at the end of the year. And I cannot wait to see the results because we're, I'm always recruiting. I'm always looking for talent. I'm also always looking for talent that's not necessarily in the tech industry. Like I'm a firm believer in transferable skills and finding people that may have been, I don't know, working in a magazine or they wrote for their, their local news syndicate. Cause I feel like there are skill sets there for sure that you would easily do well in the UX field. Jordan, where can people go to find out more about Career Day? Ooh, it hasn't launched yet, but when it does, I will be tweeting about it at Twitter Design. I'm sure we'll tweet about it for sure. But that is not launched. It's still, we're still in the works trying to get a few different universities on board, but I'm really excited because there's just some really good names in here. And it's not just, you know, the major cities that people think of when you think about the the tech hubs like San Francisco and LA and New York. I'm talking, we're in... Middle America, we're looking at Chicago, we're looking at Ohio, Florida. So I'm excited for sure. Minnesota. Oh, wait, that's Minnesota. Absolutely. (laughs) Jordan, where can people find you on Twitter? Ooh, my handle is at Jordan Elise, but I have to warn everyone only follow me if you look, if you really like geriatric millennial tweeting and hilarious stories about my animals and my children, because that is what you're going to get for me, basically. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was just a real delight. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to to be here and, and to have chatted with you today. I really love this. Me too. All right. Take care. 